lot of times in the Christian environment, um, victims are told they just need to forgive and they just need to forget. And to them, it means that you just be quiet. You never bring it up again. If you've forgiven, you can't talk about it. When I was around nine years old, he began to sexually abuse me. And that abuse lasted years. It lasted till I was 18. And because I grew up in the Christian environment, and we're told that all things work together for good to them that love God and um, children obey your parents for this is right. I felt that I had no voice. I felt that I needed to just bear my cross alone and only take it to Jesus. And so I, I remained silent. Oh, you should just forgive. Like they have a sloppy view of what forgiveness looks like. And they just, because they're uncomfortable, like basically I think many times, I want you to make me feel comfortable, even though you're the victim. I want to just be able to move beyond this. Don't talk about it. I don't want to think about it because it's so ugly. And let's just put a Christian veneer on it and move on. And yet that re winds up re-victimizing the victim, right? We realized that as Christians, even going to Bible college, nobody ever talked about abuse. It's like it's non-existent in the Christian world. God does not cause abuse. God does not use abuse to help us grow. I mean, he doesn't intend for abuse to happen, but we live in a fallen world and God can bring beauty from the ashes of despair and destruction. You know, we don't have to live in that victim state. We can become victorious. Well, hey, friends, thanks so much for showing up to another podcast of Love and Truth Network. I am really excited today for you to be hearing from someone that's near and dear to my heart, my sister-in-law, Faith Ingram. You actually might have heard from her husband in an earlier podcast. I'm not sure what uh, order we'll go in, but we are here at the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference. So you'll probably be hearing a lot of kind of noise in the background. Right now, there's a little bit of a lull going on in the exhibit hall. And so this is a great time to shoot a podcast. But it's possible that in the midst of our podcast, we could kind of be flooded with people again. And so the the noise will be a bit, little bit louder. But just so you know what's going on in the background, but really happy to have Faith here with us and to hear, uh, as always, when you do a podcast, we really appreciate having people share their stories with us. Faith has an amazing story of God <clears throat> intervening in her life. And I'm going to let her share that with you in just a moment. And then we'll just follow that up with some typical kind of questions and and uh, who knows where it's going to go in the conversation. But again, we appreciate you being here with us. So Faith, welcome to the Love and Truth Network podcast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So glad that you're here. Um, why don't you just share for maybe 10, 12 minutes or so, the time is, an exact time doesn't matter, but just share a little bit about your own story and uh, your family of origin, growing up in your family, and just kind of what that experience was was like for you. Okay, so I grew up in a pastor's home. I was the sixth of nine children mm -hmm. and I was the only girl. Mm -hmm. So I have eight brothers. I have five older brothers and three younger ones. And a lot of people perceive that the pastor's home is the safest, most loving place to grow up. 
Right. And that was not the case for me and and my brothers or my mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. So my dad, as I said, was a pastor, but he be and he actually led me to the Lord when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. I accepted Christ following an Easter service. Um, I realized my need for a savior and I came to know Christ as my savior. And my dad actually led me to the Lord. Mm. So he's my biological father. He's my spiritual father. And when I was around nine years old, he began to sexually abuse me. And that abuse lasted years. It lasted till I was 18. And because I grew up in a Christian environment and we're told that all things work together for good yeah. to them that love God and um, children obey your parents for this is right. I felt that I had no voice. I felt that I needed to just bear my cross alone and only take it to Jesus. And so I, I remained silent. I died emotionally yeah. when I was nine years old. I, and that's the only way I survived. That's one of the survival skills that I used. And, and God, the way he created us, he gives us survival skills. Mm-hmm. And mine was that I died emotionally and I shut down. I was very quiet, very timid, very shy. Um, if, if I talked, you would, you had to, I would answer a question directly in as few words as possible yeah. and as quietly as possible because I wanted to not be seen. I wanted not to be heard. I wanted to hide. I wanted to be invisible because I felt if I was invisible, then people wouldn't harm me. Yes. And so um, I lived that way. And when I became an adult, I I married your brother who was a pastor Mm -hmm. and we had a good relationship, but I was still broken Mm. because I didn't realize that I have not healed. I didn't have a lot of the, Oh, what do I want to say? The negative effects. I wasn't abused. I wasn't addicted to addicted to substances. Mm-hmm. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't suicidal. I didn't have a lot of those negative emotions, but I didn't have positive emotions yes, either. Just kind of flatlined. Yes, I was flatlined yeah, yeah. emotionally. And so so I felt that I was healed. Mm. But then in 2006 my dad chose to abuse my niece. Mm. And it was that event that kind of shook me awake. Yeah. And my husband, um, my dad at that time, my parents were members of the church we that Dale was pastoring. So we had to deal with this, the newest criminal event of my dad. It wasn't just a sin. It yeah. was a criminal act. Yeah. We had to deal with it as a family, as a church. And through the legal system. Mm -hmm. And we realized that as Christians, even going to Bible college, nobody ever talked about abuse. It's like it's non-existent Mm -hmm. in the Christian world. So we don't talk about it. We don't talk about how do we, how do we address these issues when they come up? So when they come up, we all just like, oh, that, that can't happen here. Right. And we sweep it under the rug or you, you just say you're sorry and then the the victim has to forgive and it's all back to normal yep. and it's not because the victim there is there is lifelong damage for victims of abuse and we need to make sure that 
that we're addressing these issues. We're providing places of safety for healing yes. and empowerment for victims and survivors. And because one of the books that I read was saying that the first step to healing is telling your story. And a lot of times in the Christian environment, um, victims are told they just need to forgive and they just need to forget. And that means in to them, it means that you just be quiet. You yep. never bring it up again. If you've forgiven, you can't talk about it. Yep. But it's an experience in your life. And God uses those experiences mm -hmm. to help us grow. He does not, God does not cause abuse. God does not use abuse to help us grow. I mean, he doesn't intend for abuse to happen. Right. But we live in a fallen world. Yep. And God can bring beauty from the ashes mm -hmm. of despair and destruction you know we don't have to live in that victim state mm -hmm. we can become victorious yes through christ yes and realize that that he is still with us and one of the things that i am so thankful for and all the time that i was growing up is that i realized god was god never left me mm -hmm. i didn't want i didn't have a lot of conversation with other people in my life and people around me because i was so shut down but i still maintained that relationship with god yeah my prayer life was still in full full mm. surrender yeah and he was the only one i had to go to I couldn't go to my dad, of course. And because my dad was supposed to be trusted, trustworthy and yep. a caregiver, and he violated that trust, I didn't know who to trust. Yeah. And as far as humans, mm -hmm. uh, my mom was trustworthy, but I still didn't want to hurt her. I didn't, it's not that it, I didn't think she would believe me, but I didn't want to cause pain. I didn't want to mm. break up the family. I There are a lot of, lot yes. of dynamics when abuse happens within a family yeah it's it's very complex mm -hmm. it's not an easy they're just simple do this do that right and everything's going to be fine it's not because sin and abuse is so complex and the damage and the trauma it causes go deep mm -hmm. and you, you know and even the healing it's a i call it a healing journey because it's a i think it's a lifelong journey yeah and God does provide healing and growth, but we, <clears throat> it's a journey. It's not miraculous overnight. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us, Faith. Um, the, a couple of things that come to my mind, like you talk about, I think it is really important to kind of unpack a little bit more how um, everyone's story is different around abuse. And even the the way that we relate to abuse or relate to uh, circumstances in our life are very different as well. Mm -hmm. The way we perceive things, the way we perceive ourselves, the way we perceive God, the way we perceive others. For example, um, you know, I went through a season in my life, a long season of a number of years, where I actually felt like I hated God, where I just so, I was so angry with him. And I thought, for, I, first of all, I thought he hated me. Right. And, and so there, I was kind of returning the favor of what I thought. And I've talked to many people who have gone through sexual abuse, physical abuse, and and they really did direct a lot of anger at God. Mm -hmm. And in your story is unique in that, not, not exclusive. I'm sure there's right. others that didn't as well, but can you speak to the idea of, 
you touched on it a little bit, but can you maybe unpack a little bit more the idea of how each person going through abuse, let's just say se sexual abuse, the, the reactions can be very, very different for people. Right. And the outcomes can be very different right. for people. Yes. Yes. And one of the first conferences that we did, another lady came up to me and she said, how can you not hate God? Mm -hmm. Because, and she was a pastor's daughter who went through very similar mm -hmm. circumstances. And she said, because you know that God could have stopped it. Right. And you know that he could have struck your father dead. Mm -hmm. And yet your father seems to get away scot-free mm -hmm. with the abuse and there seems to be no consequences and that's one of the responses that people have and that's even addressed in malachi mm -hmm. the end of chapter three and in chapter four of malachi the question that the israelites are asking is how, how does it seem that you know what good is it to follow God and do his commands yep. when those who do evil seem to mock God and go free. Yes. I mean, it, definitely I'm paraphrasing. Yes, yes. But, but they prosper in some way. Yeah. yeah or and, and so that is a question that a lot of people have. Sure. You know, why, why is it that I'm trying to do everything right and these people that are being abusive, they're getting away with it and they're prospering. Yeah. There are no consequences. But then God goes on to say what one of the verses in the next chapter says, and the people of God spoke among themselves mm. and God heard them mm. and a book of remembrance was written for them, which tells me they weren't praying. Yes. Maybe they were angry at God right, right. and they were talking about all of the circumstances yep. that are going on, but God heard them. Yep. And he wrote a book of remembrance, yes. which to me says, I don't even have to remember all of the stuff that happened to me. I don't have to remember. Yep. God knows he remembers. And then he says that in that eventually God is going to take everything back mm -hmm. the way it should be. Judgment will be meted out yep. to those who need judgment and healing will be given to those who need healing. Yes. And God is still in control. And yes, we do have those questions. And God knows we have those yep. questions. Where was God? Why didn't he stop it? Why are these people getting away with it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will turn to substance abuse yep. just to drown the pain, to yep. numb the pain. Yep. And that's why I'm so thankful that God intervened in my life. Mm -hmm. And another way that God intervened in my life is, I, as I said earlier, I have eight brothers. Mm -hmm. And what's very interesting to me, and I didn't even realize how much impact it had on my life, but my brothers were very respectful of me mm. all the while that I was growing up. And when I started dating I knew what it was to be respected yes. and I knew what disrespect looked like. So when somebody was disrespectful of me, it was like, I wouldn't be rude or anything, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them more opportunity yes. to disrespect me or abuse me. Yep. So I thank God that he used my brothers mm. to show me that I deserve to yes. be respected. And I also need to respect those around me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't treat people disrespectful 
because I've been disrespected. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you have to say, I'm going to be a kind and respectful person. I'm not going to use what happened to me as an excuse right. to treat others badly. Yep. And other, you know, others who have come through abuse, they become abusers Mm -hmm. because they're taking out their pain on other people. And we can't use that as an excuse. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to rise above that and realize, you know, we don't have to remain victims and we don't have to become abusers. Well, and Faith, something you said in your story and talking about how you you died emotionally, you disconnected emotionally, and and how even you know well into your adulthood, you you didn't have depression, you didn't have all of the like powerful negative emotions, but you didn't have the like positive emotions either. You're right. kind of flatlined, and that when you said that, that also reminds me of how on a in a way on a totally in a totally different topic, um, how what you experienced can be the experience of others who are abused. But it also seems to me that with many that I've talked to who haven't experienced so much abuse as they've experienced neglect, Mm. like chronic neglect. I don't mean just an occasion of neglect, but where they grew up in a family that where there really wasn't much love shown um, or the way that love was shown was shown in a way that they didn't really connect with, maybe a different kind of love language or something. But, But they, like there was very little... Um, care given uh, for the children, maybe, you know, roof over their head, clothes on their back, food on the table, that kind of stuff, but not much emotional um, uh, warmth in the, in the home at all. And I, and I've heard many people that have lived in that kind of chronic state of neglect, talk about feeling flatlined. Like they talked about, like it it hurt in the beginning. It hurt when they were children. They longed for something more. They even maybe attempted to find something more. But in that condition of of chronic neglect, they learned to finally just settle. Um, They they learned to give up hoping for more. Right. And, And as adults, they've gotten to a place where, again, they have that kind of a neutral feeling, mm-hmm. um, neutral, disconnected, not much emotion. And what do you, what are your thoughts? Uh, do you have thoughts about uh, how people, you know, you and Dale have ministered to over the years uh, of people that haven't really experienced abuse, but they've experienced that kind of chronic neglect and how they can even have that same kind of disconnect emotionally? Yes. And we talk, I heard a study many years ago about children in orphanages yes. where their their cries were ignored. Mm-hmm. And after a while, they don't cry anymore. Yes. They just, they, because they know that their cries are not going to be met with, the needs are not going to be met by crying yes. or, so they, they basically give up. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to a lot. They emotionally, people give up. Yes. And, and I, I also like when I talk about not having those good, good emotions, Uh I think some of that, even in my prayer life, I, I have very low expectations because then you're never disappointed. If you have low expectations, then you're not disappointed. And I think people that have not had their emotional needs met, And I think it's a lot of times it's generational. Mm -hmm. You know, our parents didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. 
because theirs weren't met. Yes. And I know that I did that. I mean, I loved my children Mm -hmm. and I did the best that I Mm -hmm. could, you know, and showing them that we loved them and caring for them and hugging them. And, but I'm sure that my abuse and my disconnect actually affected them. And as a Mm -hmm. matter of fact, we didn't tell our kids about my abuse until 2006 when this whole event came about. Yes. And my one son was in college and he said, oh, that explains a lot, which to me meant, oh, what did he know that, what did he notice Mm. that this explains? Mm. So, and I think part of it was, you know, I never got really excited about things. I was, I never anticipated, you know, I wasn't excited about upcoming holidays, vacations. I just, because I didn't yes. anticipate anything right. and um, because I didn't want to be disappointed. Right. So it, it has to ha- impact how you relate to other people mm-hmm. subconsciously. Yep. You know, it, it's not something that you do on purpose like, oh, I'm not going to give my kids no, exactly. the same. It's something that you grew up with. So you shut down mm-hmm. certain things so that you're not disappointed, that yes. you're not hurt. And... And that you don't become overwhelmed or depressed or whatever. Right. You just accept life as it is and you can't make it any better yep. and you can't make it any worse. So you just kind of just, yeah. just go through life. Right, right. Well, and I think what you shared earlier too is very insightful um, with regard to how like our parents, it, um, it, it, it just is an interesting thing to me that when you commented on the idea that many times parents from our parents' generation didn't have, didn't experience a lot of kind of gregarious love and nurture. Uh, They often, I mean, again, they had their basic needs met. And I'm not saying at all that they weren't loved. In some cases, in some cases, it's just difficult to deny that somebody was not loved well. I mean, sometimes that does happen where where parents seem to be very intentionally, emotionally abusive, very in their own brokenness, very um, spiteful toward their children. That's not normative. Usually parents want to do the best they can right. by their children. But it's interesting to me that like I didn't I didn't have a, a lot of warmth in my own in my own family or your, your husband, Dale, obviously my brother. uh we didn't experience a lot of uh, warmth or nurture. Uh, again, basic needs met. But it's interesting for us to grow up and recognize that, well, we didn't really get this much, but I want to make sure that we make up, not not make up for, but that we, that rather than treating our children the same way we were treated, we want to do better by, mm-hmm. by pouring in more intentionally, emotionally into them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know that my parents didn't have that in their life, but yet I, I sometimes wonder, and I, I adore my parents. I'm so grateful for having them. But I do sometimes wonder why, like with my dad, there wasn't a recognition that that something he needed to be more um, more emotionally engaged with his children, you mm. know? And and so it really, I'm not I'm not really making a um, so much uh, asking a question. If you have thoughts about that, I'd love to hear it. But I'm not so much asking a question as I'm just kind of. Um, 
uh, kind of thinking out loud a little bit based on what we're talking. But I, uh, do you have any thoughts about that from generations? Like why that might be that people don't understand, wait a minute, I, I was longing for this as a kid. I didn't get it from my parents, but yet I'm going to make sure that, that, that my children receive that more fully. Where do you think that disconnect comes in? I'm, I'm not sure where, but like our parents and their parents, they were so busy just trying to survive, yeah. I think, yep. that they they didn't think about the emotional needs. And I think there was a, a big push on making sure your kids were perfect. Yep. They were behaved well. Yes. You know. So uh, behavior management. Be, yeah. Yep. And and that's that's what it was in our family. Yep. It was always... Okay, you need to be on your best behavior because you know you represent God. You represent this your father's a pastor. A pastor. Yeah. yeah. So, and and I made that same mistake with our kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I expected them to be perfect, and they aren't. Right. And and I think even though I loved them unconditionally, did they feel that, or did they think that it was work? based love mm -hmm. that I wouldn't love them if they weren't behaved well, mm -hmm. if they didn't live up to the expectations that mm -hmm. I had for them. Um, I'm sure that I, and the church puts more expectations, the people in the church yes. put more expectations on the pastor's kids yep. than Very the other. So. Yeah. And, and I, even if I didn't, I can't change the attitudes of those around them. They pick it up, right? Whether things are sad or not, right? They pick it up real quick. Yes. So, and I, and I'm sure that it, I know that it it affected our kids because yep. they've talked to me about it. Yes, you know, and and how it, things that I didn't see, they, you know, obviously it did affect them. Yes, and our kids, most of them have walked away from the church, mm -hmm. um, because of it. And mm -hmm. I and I think we need to change our attitude in the church to so that we aren't expecting everybody to be perfect because mm -hmm. nobody is perfect. Yep. And we shouldn't expect more out of church. I mean, church leaders should be an example of Christ. Sure. I'm not saying that they sh can live every any way that they want. Right. But we should give some grace that they are not perfect. Right. They're still growing. Well, sometimes kids are just being kids. Like they're oh. not, so many times I know that, you know, people, I, I've heard this and I, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home, but I've heard this from, from others in church when I, when I was just kind of around them, or I ex even experienced like when I was with a pastor's kid, like there's this, like sometimes kids are not being sinful. They're not being rebellious. They're just being a kid. And yet they're being treated as if they're doing some heinous thing right. because they're the pastor's kid. Right. Yeah. 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 Why? Why are you wearing that? And yep. like our kids would go to church and they'd kick off their shoes as soon as they got there. Yeah. And it's like, I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, hey, this is their second home. Right. So if they want to go without shoes into your right. church, I'm fine with it. Yep. You know, I just pick them up so that people aren't going to trip over <laughs> right. them. But, right. but it's, you know, to expect that they're, they have to be dressed just so all the time, not be kids. And I think, I think I grew up that way, feeling like I couldn't be a kid. I had to be different. Yes. And I was treated differently. You know, if one time I remember I got 
frustrated and people like, because I never did express my feelings and I expressed frustration and everybody looked at me and like, what is, but the, but if it came from somebody else, it would have been nothing at all. And so it, there is a double standard and there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be, we should have more grace. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just wanted to go back to something else that you were talking about um, in regard to like, loving the your kids the best you knew how and and um but also recognizing like the statement from one of your children about oh that explains a lot i that that whole kind of theme or that idea one of the things melissa and i have realized is that and we've realized this really through the ministry of living waters desert stream ministries is the ministry that helped us so much i think if i remember correctly i think you and dale went through the mini version Mm -hmm. the cross current version of living waters which is an eight-week version whereas living waters is a 20-week version but both programs are intended to be um not intended to be they're an inner healing uh, discipleship program that helps us go back. Mm-hmm. They help us. It helps us go back and and begin to admit the truth about a mother wound or father wounds or uh, wounds from the church or um, uh, wounds from abuse or neglect or abandonment uh, of rejection. And and so the the point of it is, I say that some people might think, oh, that just sounds like victimhood. No, it's not about victimhood. It's about it's about admitting what was true so that we can move beyond victimhood right, right. or or admitting that was true so that we could not just move beyond victimhood but also move beyond a place of like what you described as kind of this flatline condition right mm-hmm. and so i think um i want to i want to bring this up here because the truth is uh, from being a pastor myself for 12 years dale my brother your husband has been a, a pastor for 40 years um melissa my wife is a licensed counselor and what we see over and over again is that frankly, most Christians are actually carrying a lot of childhood wounds, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, or or they're, they're in a similar condition to what you described as not really recognizing the pain and hurt because they disconnected from it. Right. But yet that disconnect doesn't really allow them to, to, to live in the joy, live in the, in the enjoyment of, of, of life and being a child of God and those kind of things to the fullest. And so I, um, what, what are your thoughts about this idea of Christians being intentional, even if life is not horrible, you know, where they're not feeling post-traumatic stress disorder or something like that, but, but rather there's just a lack, you know, I think it could be helpful for Christians to press into a program like Living Waters or the Healing Journey, which is, I know, in your geographic area. Uh, but some of these healing programs that can help people uncover a lot of the pain that they're still carrying with them. Right. And I think that that it's good to explore those. And there are, I think there are a lot of programs um, that people can explore yep. in their region. Um but yeah, it. I think it's good to go back, not to wallow. No, right. It's it's to uh, to go back and and grieve, mm-hmm. and then say, okay, that happened to me. That's in the past. It's under the blood, yep. and now I can move yes. forward. And and I think part of the healing process is forgiving. Yes. And when you admit that somebody needs to be forgiven for something that they've done yeah. to you and you forgive them, it's, it's, I think forgiveness is more for yourself to let that go. It does, it helps to unhook you from your abuser mm-hmm. or those that, 
And sometimes people that have hurt us have done it unintentionally. Yeah, yes. And they didn't do it like, I may have hurt my children unintentionally. And I go back, I have gone back and I've talked to my kids and said, you know what? We did not do everything right. Mm -hmm. And we're sorry Mm -hmm. for what we did. You know, what we thought at the time was that we were doing it right, right. and what we were, we did it out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. And now we know better and we want to do better. Right. But we admit that we didn't have it all right. Mm-hmm. But then that gives our, our kids the opportunity. We give our kids a voice now yeah. because I think our my voice was shut down. Yes. I had no voice. I could not say no. It's you do whatever you're told when you're told. And with no argument, you Mm -hmm. just do it. And so therefore you have no voice. If you don't agree, then there's something wrong with you. Right. And that's one reason I just was shut down and remained quiet. And I think too, I remember a friend of ours that lost her husband and children, and she was not given the right to grieve because- In, you know, we're supposed to celebrate that they went home to be with Jesus. And that, that is something that is horrible to not give the person that has lost a husband and children the right to grieve and say, you know what? I'm missing them and I'm angry at God for taking them all at the same time. It's like the, the funeral was a, a, service of celebration, celebration of life instead yeah. instead of instead of mourning the fact that they're gone right and i think christians think that we always need to be the joy of the lord is our strength right, right? so we're not ever supposed to admit that there's these bad things but if you read the psalms and david yes. he goes in through all the emotions yep. of being hurt being scared yep. being you know, crying on his bed. Yeah. Wanting to die. All Mm -hmm. of these things are normal emotions that God gave us and walking through them Mm -hmm. with God is only going to create more healthy people, individuals that can relate more healthily to other people. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. And I I just wanted, um, this isn't about you know, death or dying necessarily, but you brought that point up. And I think it's a very good point to make because, um, no, for example, this idea of celebration of life, when you just, you apply that in every situation when somebody, so, you know, like my parents, my mom lived to 91 years of age. My dad lived to 88 years of age. And, and they were both looking forward to going home and seeing Jesus, Mm -hmm. seeing some of their own family that would be in heaven as well. And, and yet, um, our hearts grieved my heart. They lived with me. My heart grieved tremendously to lose both of them. Right. It, it, but at the same time, we could really celebrate their life because they lived a long, full life. Right. When you have somebody who's gone through a tragedy of a sudden death or a child that has had cancer, or in this case, losing a husband and losing you know, children as well, that the idea that you're going to even be in a place where you can celebrate their life, their life was cut short. Right. Uh, and, and, and she's bereft of of these, uh, you know, not just one, but multiple ones that she Mm. loves so deeply. So I just think that uh, so many times um, Christians 
because we're uncomfortable with pain, because we're uncomfortable with other people's pain, usually because we're uncomfortable with our own pain, we want to just smear some veneer over it, right. uh, speak out some ridiculous platitude or some scripture that all things work together for good, those who love God. Well, that's great. And that's a true scripture. But honestly, there are times I wanted to punch somebody in the face if they were going to say that scripture to me because right. I'm not ready to hear that. I'm still in a grieving process or I'm at the beginning of it. So I just think there are so many ways that we as Christians or even coming back full circle, faith to your story and and people, uh, you know, in the beginning, I, there were people that didn't understand why you would hold your dad accountable. There were people that, um, you know, in the church and others who who were who just thought, oh, you should just forgive. Like they have a sloppy view of what forgiveness looks like. Right. And they just because they're uncomfortable, like basically, I think many times I want you to make me feel comfortable, even though you're the victim. I want to just be able to move beyond this. Don't talk about it. I don't want to think about it because it's so ugly. And let's just put a Christian veneer on it and move on. And yet that re winds up re-victimizing right. the victim, right? It does. It does. And what what it does to the victim is sa saying it puts a lot of responsibility on them. So yes. if we're holding somebody accountable, then they often will say, well, you're being unforgiving, you're being unloving, you're being ungracious, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, well, what about the grace of God? They'll ask those types of questions sure. and the grace of God does cover his sin, but there are consequences to sin, even in forgiveness. Yes. Um, and, and that's in everything. The, the consequence of his abuse of me, I carry for the rest of my life. Yes. And if his consequences being on probation or going to prison, I can still love him in that place. I can still pray for him. Yep. I can still be forgiving in spirit, not holding a grudge, not being bitter, not calling him names, right. not. But my attitude towards him isn't um represented by his not facing consequences right. for his action and i think that's what it is it's this not facing consequences they don't want there to be consequences because he said he's sorry i bring it down into a little bit of a more closer to home um situation let's say that you have two children you have an older child and a younger child mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you hear the younger one crying out and you go back and the older child has a bat mm. and he has hit the younger child over the head mm -hmm. and there's a gash. And you say to the younger child, what did you do to make your brother do that to right. you? Right. And then you say, well, you know that your brother, whenever you do this, he's going to get angry and he's going to hit you. Yep. So you have to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. And you need to tell your brother that you're sorry that you made him hit mm -hmm. you over the head. And then you, you just kind, you don't even take the bat away from the brother. Yep. You, and you say, Oh, honey, I know that it's so hard for you when your brother makes you upset. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll talk to him and we'll make sure. You know, you just tell him you're sorry mm -hmm. and he'll forgive you. And then you say to the younger one, hug your brother and you don't even attend to his wound. Right. And that is exactly how so many churches treat yes. victims and offenders in within the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 
a simplified thing, but it, but it's very, it's, that's exactly how it is. Mm -hmm. It's usually the offender has more power and control, like the older sibling has more power and the people around him are willing to listen to him and give him all kinds of excuses for his behavior. And they're not holding him accountable. They're not taking the bad away. They're not putting boundaries around him to protect other people. And instead, they're placing all of the blame, all of the responsibility on the victim. You need to forgive. You need to be more loving. You need to act better so that people don't abuse you. And you need to not talk about it. And you need to not talk about it. And you have to find a way to get your healing on your own because we're not going to help you because Mm -hmm. that shows that there's something going on. Right. So that that illustrates so often how people re-victimize the victim. And I don't think it's intentional. Right. I think it's it's out of ignorance. You know, they're not thinking about it in the same way, you know. Uh, Yeah, I think so often they're not. But I think in many cases I've heard of, it's also in most cases, I think there's some genuine confusion in certain cases. But in most cases I've heard of, it really is, there really is a, you know, pulling up the carpet and sweeping all this crap underneath so nobody sees it. Like, and and I'm intentionally doing that. Like I'm lifting the carpet, I'm sweeping the stuff underneath and I know what I'm doing. Oh, right. um, And, and it, and maybe I'm not thinking about like re-victimizing the victim, but what I'm doing is I'm covering this up and I'm not, I'm not giving the, the, the person who's been hurt, like you said, not tending to their wound. I mean, we, we have to begin to really tend to the wound of others that have, that have been so severely and so badly harmed, you know, in a, in a way that, that is, that's deeper than really any other kind of wounding or injury. Oh, yes, right? it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. God says that the sexual sin goes to, is defiling the temple of the Holy yeah. Spirit. So it's not just physical, right? It's spiritual. It's emotional. It it, it affects every every part of their their being, yep. and and to just sweep it under the rug, like you know, he he pinched you, and yep. you know, it lasted five minutes. So why why can't you just yep. get over it? Well, God says that it it affects our yes. spiritual. You know, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, right. and that. We can't just sweep it under the rug mm-hmm. because what that does is it it invalidates the victim. Yeah. It makes makes them invisible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like like there's no collateral damage. Yeah. You know, if we sweep it under the rug, it never happened. Yeah. We can just go on with our life and pretend mm-hmm. it what that's what I did. And it did not stop it. It yeah. didn't stop the consequences for me, nor did it stop, put boundaries around my offender? He continued mm-hmm. to have other victims that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. But then as I, later. yeah, as I opened up my eyes mm-hmm. and said, oh, yeah, you know, there are signs that there was this victim and that victim. And yeah. there were many, many victims. Yeah. And when we, when we sweep it under the rug, we just enable, we become enablers. Yeah. We, we aren't. We aren't becoming a fence yeah. of safety, putting boundaries around unsafe people, wolves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we need to be aware of those mm-hmm. around us. Not that offenders can't receive forgiveness. 
because God's grace can cover any sure. sin. Yep. But there has to be consequences. There has to be looking out to for the vulnerable mm-hmm. in our communities. Yep. Yeah, which are children and there are vulnerable adults. Yep. Well, one of the things that Dale and I talked about yesterday as we were unpacking some of these things, we talked about the fact, and I want to bring this up so you can weigh in here. We talked about the reality that it's actually not loving to uh, to enable and remove the consequences from the offender, especially early on in their life, mm-hmm. which so many times parents or others want to protect and want to, you know, the, for leaders in a church, sometimes that leader gets shifted to a different church or right. is let go in a very, in a way that nobody has a clue of what's going on. The authorities were never involved. Somehow it just, they're just gone. And now what they've done, you've just put this person, an unhealed person, and even maybe a totally unrepented person, right. Right. In a situation where the, now they have no boundaries around them, as you said, but who knows how long it's going to be before they wind up in some way reoffending again. But regardless of that, they wake up every day knowing that they face zero consequences, at least in this life, right. for what they've done. And, and so on so many levels, it's actually completely unloving right. to not hold an offender accountable so that they can actually find and receive forgiveness and healing right. and repent of the things that they've done. What are your thoughts about that? that exactly. The, but the illustration I used before of the older sibling and the younger sibling, yep. it was not loving to either one of them right. the way that that illustration was presented. Mm-hmm. The older one did, did not face any consequences right. for his behavior. And that would allow him to go on thinking, okay, I'm okay doing what I'm doing. And it's okay for me to abuse not only my younger brother or sister, but I can go on and abuse other people around me because apparently I'm special and I I have every right Mm -hmm. to behave whatever way I want. So it's not loving to that older sibling to say, Hey, you know what? That's wrong. There's mm-hmm. boundaries here. You you cannot hit your brother with a bat. Right. It is and loving to do that. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it's yeah. It's loving to set up boundaries yes. for him so that he can learn what mm-hmm. is appropriate, what is right, yep. and and give him proper consequences mm-hmm. for his actions. Yep. And that so it and bringing it up to an offender who's criminally. Um, has criminal activities, you have to then report it to the law. Yes. You have to allow them to face the consequences of their sin to realize, you know what? This isn't right. Right. And it's not something that I can get away with. Yeah. And, you know, the legal system's not going to get it right every time. No, right. But we need to, as Christians and responsible adults and leaders, to take on the responsibility of, you know, we don't, a lot of times we don't want to report that this is a criminal activity mm-hmm. in this family going on. This older brother abused his sister. So we we say, oh, there's a loophole in, in the law in this state. So we don't have to, we don't right. have to report it. Well, whether or not there's a loophole, right. is it your moral responsibility to report yeah. do what's legally right what's morally right yes. to help both the big victim and the offender because 
what you're doing is you're putting boundaries. So it might cause that if that offender doesn't know Christ, it might cause him to to receive Christ, right. to become more repentant. Yes. But if there's no reason for him to repent, right? you know, he's going to go on in his sin and you're going to, he, he may end up in hell because mm. you've been, because you were too loving. Yeah. 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 Quote unquote, exactly. Yes. Scare quotes, loving. So a sloppy kind of love, a sloppy kind of grace. What would you say, uh, Faith, as we kind of come toward the end of our podcast, um, just to give uh, women or men hope that have experienced um, sexual abuse in their in their past or other forms of abuse, uh, what would you say to to someone who's watching this or listening to this podcast who has gone there, uh, who not gone there, who has experienced that kind of abuse? How would you want to encourage them? Well, I think um, what they need to know is their abuse is not their fault. Yeah, it's totally the fault of the offender. And, you know, we all have sin within our life, mm -hmm. but when you're abused and you're a victim, that is not your sin. Right. And, you know, a lot of times we, we keep those labels, like I was talking about earlier, you're unloving, you're unforgiving. Mm -hmm. And though, and you have a right to be angry and you have a right to grieve what was taken from you. Yes. And um, in my case, my innocence was stolen from mm -hmm. me and not only from me, but from my husband, from our children, yep. you know, it affects all of my future relationships, but that was not my sin. Right. It was my dad's sin. And we uh, um, do a ceremony or a service that's, ca that's called blameless in his eyes. Mm. God holds you innocent as a survivor of abuse and even sexual abuse. I have a rose on our table. It says innocence reclaimed mm. because God still sees you as pure yep. and innocence be innocent because you didn't give up your innocence or your purity or your virginity. It was stolen from yes. you. And I, I think a lot of times people that have gone through abuse feel like they're um, damaged goods. Yep. They're dirty. They're nobody's going to want them mm -hmm. anymore, but God still sees you as pure. Yes. God sees you as, as broken because somebody stole from you. Yes. Not, not that you are unworthy. Mm -hmm. You are still worthy and you're still pure in yep. his eyes and you're still, you know, his child. Mm -hmm. Um, if you know him as your savior and he wants, he wants to love you. And he wants to um, be there for you. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I would always quote this verse um, to myself. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And he has shown that to me through all my life, even though I might have felt alone sometimes. God was there even through those hard times. Yes, absolutely. It as you're saying all that, the the story of um, Amnon and Tamar, mm -hmm. uh, the of of wicked Amnon, comes mm -hmm. to my mind, and so David's son uh, finds his stepsister uh, uh, Absalom's uh, daughter to be, or sister rather, to be uh, stunningly gorgeous, and he's pining away, longing to. Um, uh, 
to have sex with her, longing uh, for some kind of supposed relationship. But it, and in the end, um, one of his um, scummy friends gives him an idea of how he can manipulate and go about doing this uh, in order to ultimately rape her right. and, and steal away from her her innocence. And so the, the story is just so horrendous and so tragic. And then in addition to that, the ending of that story uh, where where apparently nothing happens to Amnon, David doesn't deal with it. He was angry about it, but he but right. says nothing about what he did uh, in terms of disciplining his son. I mean, it's, it's horrendous. And but one of the most tragic phrases in that story to me is that when Am when when Tamar is thrown out of Amnon's room, so Amnon is all pining away because he wants to be with her. He has sex with her, rapes her, and then and then literally has his servant throw her out of the room. He wants right. nothing to do with her anymore. And 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 so this horrendous event, and it says that she went um, to her brother um, Absalom's home and lived there in desolation. Right. And so when I um, when I hear what you're saying for people to work through these issues to to no matter how many years have passed since the abuse happened and and again the abuse may have been a one-time thing it may have been something that, that like with you that happened over and over and over again um the the reality is is it's still trauma you know mm -hmm. regardless yes. right and and so this i i simply want to speak to the person who's watching or listening who's experienced this and they've also experienced the emotional fallout but yet wondering why would i bring this up why would i why would i ever want to go back there again why would i allow a counselor or a pastor or anybody into that space i just want to leave it alone and the question i would have is I think there are many people walking around here who are have kind of resolved like Tamar did just to simply live in desolation. Like this has been robbed from her. What you're describing about innocence reclaimed, I think that we need to uh, to choose to enter back into with God Mm -hmm. reclaiming that innocence and it, it may require maybe a couple of decades have gone by and we've just been disconnected from what happened to us mm -hmm. but that re-engaging um in 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 grief re-engaging in anger re-engaging in and working through the emotions that we've disconnected from may be a very important part of being able to live in a more full range of emotion right. of the joy and the and and really finding healing and I, just that phrase though of that she lived in desolation for the rest of her life i don't i don't want you don't want god doesn't want uh sons and daughters people to live the rest of their life in desolation because what somebody else did to them right. he wants them to find and discover um a restored life and a new life in christ right I mean, what are your i know that sounds like a platitude but last uh, thoughts about that right and and i think i've heard you know that she lived in desolation um and and we we take that there has to be a a time that she was yes she was living in that i can't believe this happened yes, absolutely and you know the bible doesn't give us many um more details right. on on how did she survive mm -hmm. did she ever receive healing right but, but yes that's that we do need to i think the psalms gives us I, as Christians, I, I think that my emotional deadness was reinforced by the church. Yes. Because they tell you not to express your feelings yes. and they shame you if you express some of these feelings, you right. know, like you shouldn't complain, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. 
Or you've been sad long enough. Right. Right. Like they put a time frame on it. Right. And I think reading through the Psalms has helped me to realize, you know what? David was a man after God's own heart. And he expresses all kinds of emotion. And he even, he even, you know, would pray against his enemies and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. So like, like even when victims are sad, told, you know, you need to love and forgive. Mm-hmm. You know, David, he prayed against his enemies mm-hmm. and those who were oppressing him. And the Psalms talks about God being the God of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And he right. he loves justice. You know, we, we're told, oftentimes we're told as victims, you shouldn't seek justice, mm-hmm. you know, it, but God... God says that justice is good. Yes. And and right. Yes. Because without justice, then everything is evil. Evil yep. just runs amok. Yep. But um, so I think victims need to go through the range of emotions. They have to give themselves permission mm-hmm. to bring up those emotions. And you go, you go through the anger. You go through where was God? You, all of the different emotions and even praying that God would rain down vengeance on your Mm -hmm. offender Mm -hmm. because that's not unbiblical. Mm -hmm. And I think the Psalms actually gives, I I find so much hope in reading the Psalms as a victim in restoring emotions and and knowing that they're okay to pour out our emotions to God. God doesn't, he's not surprised when we say, I hate you. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Right. And I don't know why you allowed that in my life. And I don't see how it can ever turn out good, but I'm trusting that it will, yep. you know, and maybe you're not trusting, but in the moment, but yep. in the moment and God, God knows that, but be open enough that you know that God can hear every emotion and he wants to hear. He wants to hear where you are. He already knows, but he wants you to come to him. And, and if, if we stay in silence and pretend like everything's okay, we don't receive that full healing and we don't move on and we don't grow. And then we don't flourish. And so sometimes it does take going back and saying, you know what, this, this was yep. a horrific circumstance in my life, yep. but God can redeem it mm-hmm. and he has redeemed it. You mm-hmm. know, acknowledge what God has already done. Yeah, right. And then then expect what he's going to do in, in keeping things yep. going. Well, I think I like what you were saying earlier too about even, and some people listening to this or or hearing this uh, or watching this may feel like, oh my goodness, she's talking about praying, you know, damnation on on our enemies or whatever. And we do see David doing that in the Psalms. And when I hear you say that, I think of the reality that stages of grief are, mm-hmm. you know, state, it, grief, the stages of grief aren't just sorrowful. There's, there's a stage of anger. There could be a stage of rage uh, that I, I think that, you know, praying against the wickedness of what was done mm-hmm. to you or done to a loved one, uh, it could can be part of that stage of healing, that stage of grief of actually healing and coming eventually to a place 
of releasing that person, um, you know, into God's hands for judgment, or, you know, ultimately if he brings that person to genuine repentance or what have you, or, or if they will respond to him, bringing them to, to repentance. But I can certainly see even, even those prayers being a part of someone's uh, process of a stage of grief, um, right? Yes, it is, yes. it isn't, um, you know, so often we want to just kind of put everything in this neat little box as, as the church and put a bow on it uh, as if it's all done and it has to be done quickly. And the truth is it, it can, uh, everyone's timeline is different right. in terms of processing grief. And, and oftentimes it's not this neat little circle mm -hmm. either. It, we go back again and forward right. and back and forward. And eventually the Lord does bring us to a place of, um, I, I think sometimes it almost sneaks up on us a bit and it's like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't feel as rageful. I don't feel as angry. I don't feel as hateful. I don't feel as broken as I did. You know, God, right. God is doing something, you right. know, it's right. not always obvious in the moment. Sometimes it's in reflection backward that we recognize that, but Anyway, Faith, I so appreciate you, you know, being here with us and uh, your ministry. Why don't you just, for those watching, I know Dale shared last time, but for those watching that might not have seen that um, uh, or received that information, what's the name of your ministry again and how can people get in touch with you? So the name of our ministry is Speaking Truth in Love and our website is speakingtruthinlove.org mm -hmm. and that has all of our contact information on our website. And we go into churches and we equip and educate church leaders on how to respond to abuse when it mm -hmm. happens, how to um, relate to victims and help them receive the yes. healing they need, and how to hold offenders accountable, how to prevent abuse when it happens. And we also encourage and empower victims, help them to find resources that are available yes. to help them in their healing journey. Yep. And in addition to childhood sexual abuse, uh, you're also, I think, ministering in um, the area of domestic violence happening within the church too, yes. like of, of of women, adult women, right? Uh, in in um, in situations that should never happen like that. So your ministry is broad in in that it's not just about childhood sexual abuse. That's where it began, I think, right? Yes. and then expanded into this domestic violence issue, which sadly, tragically, is a is a real problem in the church. So it is, yep. it is, and yep. that's sad because it shouldn't be. Right. But yeah, and they're so intertwined, mm -hmm. domestic violence and childhood abuse. They're they're intertwined. So the two are definitely need to be dealt mm -hmm. with. They've been ignored for many decades yeah. and many centuries yeah. in the church. So right. Right. we we definitely want to um, minister and bring light to those issues. Again, thanks for being with us today. We really Thank appreciate you. that. And for those of you watching or listening to our Love and Truth Network podcast, we're so grateful that you're tuning in. I hope, and I know Faith does too, that this was an encouragement to you um, and also hopefully would be something that might even spark a desire to go deeper in, in a healing process, a healing journey. Maybe at some point some horrible things have happened to you, maybe sexual abuse, maybe other forms of abuse, uh, and and you just kind of shut down, disconnected. You can relate to Faith's story about doing that. And yet God has more. God has more healing for you, not only for your sake, but also for the sake of those who are intimately in your life, a, a spouse or children or friends or what have you. And so again, thanks for tuning in to this uh, podcast episode. We'll look forward to seeing you in a future podcast as well.
Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode. Thank you.